Welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here again with my lovely and wonderful wife, Natasha Mason. Hello. And there she is, and we are glad to be back with you for another episode of The Study of the Acts of the Apostles. So we've been looking at the Acts of the Apostles, um, the stories in the book of Acts and the uh, context uh, biblically, um, really looking at the historical side of it and and really what really happened and what does it really mean for us. Um, There's a lot of um, sermon opportunities there. I mean, there's a lot of verses and a lot of context and scripture and things that go on. And I'm sure there are plenty of pastors who could Uh, take one verse and turn it into a multi-week sermon series. Uh, But we're more interested in sticking to the narrative, right? Sticking with the story. The uh, author Luke uh, records what happens in the Acts of the Apostles, how the gospel began after Jesus ascended into heaven, and how it spread um, really to the Gentile nations. So we're coming off of Acts chapter 10, which was a fantastic uh, episode for us. If you haven't heard it, I hope you're following along in the uh, process and, uh, you know, going chapter by chapter with us. But chapter 10 was very important because we come to the home of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius. I look at you and you know, Cornelius. So we get, we came to the home of a man named Cornelius. Uh, Peter had a vision. Some men were sent out to gather him and bring him to Cornelius's house. And uh, Peter went there to minister. Um, something important happened in Acts chapter 10. We saw where God had let down a vessel or a, um, a blanket type of a thing uh, in a vision to Peter. And in the, inside of it, he had all these four-footed beasts and creatures and creepy crawly things. Um, and inside of this uh, vessel, were the clean and the unclean animals and uh, things that um, so Peter could see him. And Peter knew, according to his Jewish heritage and according to his Jewish background, that the clean and the unclean were not to mix. You uh, you didn't eat things that were considered to be unclean, that God had deemed to be animals and things that were created for uh, cleaning purposes, uh, as pigs, for instance, were created to clean. They were not necessarily created to be food. Um, so Peter knows this, and he sees it, and, and the um, the word of the Lord to him is to take and, and eat, sacrifice, and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, I, I haven't ever done that. ...by his principles as being a Jewish man and following Torah, and uh, and the Lord says, you know, basically says, uh, you don't call what I have made clean, you don't call it unclean. And he's not talking about food, he's not actually talking about the animals uh, that he made uh, clean and unclean, what he's talking here is the people, he's talking about the Gentile nations. So uh, he goes into the house of Cornelius... And he preaches the gospel to them. And the scripture says, and we talked about at the end of chapter 10, that the uh, the Lord actually poured out the Holy Ghost upon the uh, family and the people that were in the house, that it had not been conferred upon them by Peter, but by God himself. And so this issue will come back up again in this chapter, chapter 11 of Acts. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do what we always do. We'll read one or two, and we'll stop, and we'll talk about it a little bit. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So we've got in verse 1, the apostles and brethren that are in Judea. So these are the people who have been displaced from Jerusalem. Um, They've been pushed out because of the persecution that is going on. And so they are living outside of uh, the city of Jerusalem. They're out in Judea and they're um, they're hearing now that the Gentiles have received the Lord. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Ah, good question here. So they that are of the circumcision, what would that indicate to you? They that are of the circumcision? Yes. 
Jews? Yeah. So um, really what, yeah, you have to understand the Old Testament. If you understand Abraham's covenant to God was marked by circumcision of the, the males, circumcision of the flesh. Um, so the Jewish people, the Jewish males were considered they needed to be circumcised. So um, when Peter comes back up to Jerusalem after he's been down um, ministering and witnessing to Cornelius and his family, um, the message and the word is getting out that he has been preaching to the Gentiles. And they that are of the circumcision tells you a little bit about um, the attitude that these people had at the time. They're really kind of, they're believers that are that are taking issue with him, but these are believers who for some reason considered circumcision a necessity of some sort. Um, they still hung on to this idea that the, um, the, the people, Gentiles, even the Gentiles should be circumcised. And so the reason the scripture points that out is because it wants you to realize something. Saying, thou went Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. So this was not a custom that they were used to. Um, they considered them unclean because they were uncircumcised and they would not associate with them. And really that's what uh, wentest in just means you were associating yourself with them. You were eating, you were talking, you were hanging around with these uncircumcised men, these unclean people. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended, as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners. And it came even to me, upon the which, when I had fasted, fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. So here in this, he's, uh, he's pointing out, so we go back up to verse... Uh, verse 4, it says, Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning. So basically, he's gone back to the beginning of the story of, of what happened. So um, this is really interesting, and this is something I want to point out to everyone really quick, um, because this is this scripture, the passage here, it has a really uh, large impact on one specific um, group in the world today who call themselves Christians. This would be the Roman Catholic group. Um, the Roman Catholic group contend that Peter was the voice, the vicar of God on earth, uh, instituted by Jesus. Jesus said, upon this rock, he says, um, they call you the rock, but upon, I tell you, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus is talking about himself. He's a rock of our salvation. But the Catholic church contends that Peter was the greatest in the church and that Peter was the head of the church. And this text right here points out that Peter was not considered to be the greatest by these men. He wasn't considered to be the greatest among them. They did not consider Peter to be be the number one apostle or disciple. Because if they did, they would never question what he did. They would have listened to him and said, well, Peter's the voice of God upon earth. So who are we to question what he's saying? So here in this verse, we have Peter who is laying out, he's going back from the beginning and he's explaining the whole matter so that they can understand it because he is not the head of the body of Christ. He's not the head of the church. Um, and that's very key and important because there is a, again, the, the Roman Catholicism is built around the idea that Peter is at the top. And then every pope following after that has the power and the voice of God because Peter had it. Um, and that's not so. Here we see in chapter 11, there's a couple other things here that are going to point this out. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. So in this in this vision that he has, um, it's very interesting to note that when the Lord, I think the Lord tells him three times, um, but he doesn't tell him to take and eat three times. He says three times, don't call 
what I've made clean or don't call something that is um, good that I've made good. Don't call it unclean and bad. You know, he says this three times to Peter. He's getting across to him at this point that he's trying to make. And we saw in chapter 10 that even after the vision was over with, Peter still struggled with it in a little bit in his mind, trying to understand what the Lord was showing. And then it hit him like a ton of bricks and he got it. Um, when he saw the men standing there, he absolutely got what God was trying to say. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. So we come to this portion right here. So he's telling the story of how God had uh, moved him to go to Cornelius' house. Um, and it's very important. He's pointing back to him taking the six men with him. So remember, he took six witnesses with him to Cornelius' house because they would have doubted his message if Peter alone had gone. If Peter had gone and said, uh, I'm converting the Gentiles, God wants to do this work, then the people would have again questioned what he did because they did not see him as the number one leader of the church. Peter was not considered that way. So he has to point to his side here in this verse and say, you see these six men over here, they went with me because they verify his witness. And this is why he brought them along. So that when this issue came up, he didn't know this, but when this issue came up later, it would be, he would be able to convince the brethren because of their witness. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. All right, so this is really important. So we've got something here. So in, in chapter 10, uh, we had the uh, the gospel preached to the Gentiles. Peter talked about Jesus being salvation. He's he's the way. You have to confess your sins. He's, he's preaching the gospel to them. And so in, in this very verse 14 of chapter 11, we see who shall tell thee words wherein whereby thou and all the house shall be saved. He's saying he, he was going to tell them how to be saved. So when Peter's pointing, this is really important. If you want to know what salvation is, you can find it in chapter 10. If you want to know how to be saved, you find it in chapter 10. And there's not one instance, and I'm going to point this out for everyone, there's not one instance in chapter 10 where he says, you need to do something good. You need to do good works. You need to offer something to God. You need to be a good person. You need to uh, go to your local congregation consistently. You need to, he doesn't point out any kind of a work that they needed to do other than repenting of their sins and turning to Jesus. That, my friends, is salvation. And it's you, you want to say, I'm not, I'm not a Jewish person. How can I be saved? Gentiles. Acts chapter 10 tells you exactly how to be saved. And in this verse 14, he says that's why he's going up to the house. He's going to tell them how to be saved. Verse 15 also goes into what we pointed out um, at the beginning because it was very important in chapter 10. It was very important for the Jews he's talking to in Jerusalem here to understand that God was doing something with the Gentiles. So he says in verse 15, read that one more time. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. So the, at the beginning, what would you consider to be at the beginning? When was the first time the Holy Spirit fell on them, on, on anyone? Uh, when Jesus came back. 
Day of Pentecost. Yes, Day of Pentecost. So he's he's pointing back to the Day of Pentecost. Now it's very important to understand too that the Holy Spirit has been conferred from the Day of Pentecost by the laying on of hands, so that the disciples and the apostles would pass the Holy Spirit to someone who believed, um, or, or they would lay their hands on and God would do the work. But so it was it had always to be through them. Yes, it was always seen as through. This is why it was tried to be purchased. We remember the man who tried to purchase the the ability to confer the Holy Spirit, but God with the Gentiles does the same thing that he did on the day of Pentecost. He goes in freely of his own, apart from Peter. He does it away from Peter, so Peter knows. Peter already knows. This is confirmation that God is doing the work and not Peter. This is confirmation that Peter is not in charge of anything. God himself is in charge because he lays the Holy Spirit down upon all these people, not Peter. And so, Peter, this is what Peter needed the witnesses to say. They are equal to us in the kingdom of God, but not because we led them to salvation, but because God himself has poured his spirit out upon them. He chose them. And the interesting portion in this scripture is that even before Peter finished speaking, he didn't even get done preaching the gospel to them. The scripture says that Cornelius believed and the Lord said, I will send someone to your house to tell you how to be saved. So Cornelius already had the faith. He already had the belief in God and in, in Yeshua, and he needed to hear about Jesus. So Peter comes in and starts preaching Jesus, the Messiah crucified to them. And before he's even done, God's pouring out his spirit on these people because he wants to show it has nothing to do with Peter. It has everything to do with Jesus, the word of God, the power of God. So that's what we saw in chapter 10. This is what he's explaining to the Jews in Jerusalem. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Ooh, now, hold on. This is this is a real good verse. Um, we're uh, definitely reading out of the King James here. But this is, I mean, this if you want to pick a verse, if you're a preacher, this is a verse you could preach on hard. Who is able to withstand God? Who is able to tell God what he can and can't do? And Peter is saying, if God is pouring out the same Holy Spirit upon them as he poured out upon us, who would I even be to even stand against God to say, you can't do that? They're not Jewish men. They're not circumcised. And he's laying it at their hearts, and, they're, and he's saying, this is the work of the Lord. This has nothing to do with us. Why are you upset? These people who are Gentiles, the Lord has chosen, that they should be one of us. And he even points back to something that Jesus said, that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that, yes, Jesus said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so what he's saying is, is that anyone who believes, anyone who believes is going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost, which is fantastic. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none, but unto the Jews only. So these people who are here, these are these are also ones who were dispersed, um, left Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned at the persecution of Stephen, and they've gone out, and they haven't really heard up till now that the gospel, that the, the, the glory of God is being shed on the Gentiles as well. So they're out continuing to preach to the Jews because that's who the gospel, the scripture says salvation is to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. So that's how it was spread. They went to the Jews first. So they're out preaching the gospel in these different areas, um, down at Antioch and, and some of these other areas and continue on. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. 
Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So we got these men who are out there continuing to preach. So back in verse 20, see that they're in Cyprus and Cyrene. Um, and the, if you want to know, Cyprus and Cyrene is an area around Lebanon today. Um, but we believe it's an area called Shahat Lebanon. So that's where they're at. Um, and they're preaching to the Grecians. These again are the Hellenistic Jews. They're continuing to preach the gospel to the Jews because that's what they knew. Um, but they're also preaching here. Now they're preaching to the Hellenistic Jews, what they call the Grecians or the Greeks, um, which could include Gentiles. So there's people who are hearing this message, and the Bible says that as they preached this, the hand of God was on them. And the Bible talks about different ways of the hand of the Lord is not too short for this and that, uh, but it's a symbol of uh, a way of showing that God's power resided upon these men as they preached. So we come into verse 22, and the things, the tidings, the sayings, um, the the word of mouth of really that's what it is. The word of mouth of what these men are doing and how the Lord is working is spreading back to Jerusalem. Um, very important. This is another key. Um, I don't want to say it's a knock, but it's another key point to make to the Catholic belief system. Um, they, they redeem or they believe that Rome is the most important place um, in the biblical world. But here, the early church began in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the first church was started. Jerusalem is where the power of God went out of. It did not go. It did not begin in Rome. It began here in Jerusalem. And so when the word of the Lord got back to Jerusalem and it got back to the believers who were there, they... Uh, Barnabas was probably a deacon, um, and he was a good man. Uh, there's some um, some texts out there that talk about he was a wealthy man, but he always uh, took care of the poor, that he attended to their needs. And so when they heard that this message was being spread, they wanted to send someone. They wanted to send someone to uh, to be a witness to them, to be a support to them. Um, and, and, you know, I think you could look at some of this passage and you could think, oh, they're just sending somebody down there to tell them what to do. But this is really more about supporting the beginning of these people. And this is what we do is in current, you know, in our current life, if we send missionaries to the field, we support them financially. We support them with food. We support them with clothes because they're going out and they're ministering, but they need that backing, that support. And so that's what they're doing here. They're sending Barnabas out to these people to continue to be a support. And we'll see that here in the coming verses. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Ah, so now remember, I think it was chapter 9, we saw that Saul had been converted and he went away. He was sent off to Tarsus because they were trying to kill him. So uh, I guess Barnabas, he's down here, he's uh, working with these men, he's preaching. He, sa he saw the grace of God upon these people. And, you know, the Bible says he was glad and he exhorted them. And basically exhorted means he, he encouraged them. He spoke things to them about the Lord and how his goodness and his mercy and his love for them. And so at some point he, I, I'm not sure the scripture doesn't say here um, why he went to look for Saul, but uh, he was moved to go find Saul. And so he goes to Tarsus to find him. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Ah, very interesting. So here we come to chapter 11 of the book of Acts, and we find out that Christians were actually first called Christians 
in Antioch. Um, and it was, there was, okay, so they were there a year and they were ministering and witnessing. Um, I, I don't have my notes today. I actually filled them all out. I did my notes and I left them somewhere. So I'm doing this off of memory. Um, but there was a, uh, the leader of the church of Antioch. He was the one at this time who had decided to call the people Christians. Um, I believe there was a man named Ephanitus who said that the, some of the Christians, uh, he believed before they were called Christians, they were called Jesseans. Um, because Jesse and David and uh, Mary being of David. Um, so they were called that. They were some, in some circles, they were called Nazarenes or uh, Galileans uh, because they followed the man of Galilee or they followed the, what they con- some considered the Nazarene. So um, the early church were not called Christians. I mean, from the, the time of Christ up till here, they were referred to in different terms. They were just, you know, um, there were most of them were considered apostate, to be honest with you. I mean, by especially by the Jewish hierarchy, um, they were not considered anything. But here they find and they come into the word Christian. Now, there's a lot. I'm going to say this real quick. Uh, there's a lot of um, different people who don't go by Christian because they the connotation today is different than then. Christian was someone who was a follower of Christ. They they followed his uh, his teachings, his precepts, everything about it. They followed after Jesus, Yeshua. Um, the Messiah. Today in our current society, the Mormons consider themselves Christians. The Jehovah's Witness consider themselves Christians. Um, There's a lot of people who believe that uh, salvation is by works. Those people consider themselves Christians. These are none of of those belief structures follow Acts chapter 10 when it comes to salvation. They're not Christians according to the word of God, but they call themselves Christians. So there's this, uh, there's this, and you could ask anyone, nine out of 10 people, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They're going to say, oh, yeah, I was a, I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. My mama was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. And and honestly, over time, it's lost its singularness. It's lost the idea that this person is devoted wholly unto Christ. The word Christian these days doesn't really mean we don't apply it the same way that they do here in the scripture. Um, now, I consider myself a Christian. I, I consider myself a follower of Christ. And I, I want to say that I follow him based on the precepts and tenets that he laid down. It is not based on, well, I was born into a family of, of Christians and, and I know Christians and I think we lie to ourselves when we do that. So there's a lot of uh, groups out there, congregations that are pulling back from that word. There's a lot of people who are just calling themselves believers. They're saying, I'm a believer because that's, you can't, you're, I'm, and then they specify, I'm a believer in Yeshua. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a believer in the word of God. I'm a believer because they want that specificness that I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation in God, the father. And, uh, and so here at the early church, they didn't have that problem. They, they knew anyone, if you were willing to say that you followed after Christ, you were putting yourself in danger of persecution. And so when they did that, it was a badge of honor to say, well, you, you are a Christian, you are a follower of Christ. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul." 
All right, so we've got Barnabas and Saul still in Judea, and a great dearth comes upon uh, people, and a lot of different things there, uh, translations for dearth is uh, hardships, plagues, uh, just different things coming upon the earth in different times. And so the people struggled, and we see the brotherhood, the kinship of the body of Christ supporting one another. So those who were up in Jerusalem and uh, were sending down to help in Judea, and you had Barnabas and Saul, and they were ministering to make sure that everyone had um, they were taken care of. And I think the reason that's in the scriptures to show us that we are a family, we are a body of Christ. And if one is in need and we have, we should not leave them in want. Um, it's, I think it's a horrible thing that, uh, you know, someone who would call you their brother or their sister, um, would not help you in a time of need or would not help you when you're struggling or not help you when you're down. You wouldn't expect that from your family, right? You wouldn't expect your own mother or father to say too bad. I'm not helping you too bad. Um, the body of Christ, we don't have to do that because we know who we serve. We know who we're, um, linked to, and we know who we're family with. And so, uh, in this scripture here, it's pointing this out to say, we should be taking care of one another. We should be looking out for each other in hardship. So we see a lot of wonderful things in this, uh, chapter 11 of Acts, um, really important. And Peter himself, when you make it to heaven to be with the Lord, I guarantee you Peter himself will say he was not the leader of the body of Christ. He was not the rock that everything was built on, that there was only one rock, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Yeshua HaMashiach, he is the Messiah, and he is the rock of our faith and our hope and our salvation. So great chapter. We'll be getting into chapter 12 next week. Come back, and we will talk to you later. Bye.